Hey everyone, Jason here. Before we get going, I just wanted to take a moment to give a quick shout out to the new paid membership option that we recently rolled out. This option is meant for people that have been getting value from the podcast and want to enable us to keep producing it in a more sustained way. It's also for people that want extra stuff, such as bonus content, a Slack room that's vibrant and filled with people tackling climate change from a wide range of backgrounds and perspectives, as well as a host of programming and events that get organized in the Slack room. We also have a virtual town hall once a month where you can get a preview of what's to come and provide feedback and input on our direction. We'll be adding more membership benefits over time. If you want to learn more, just go to the website, myclimatejourney.co. And if you're already a member... Thank you so much for your support. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Jason Jacobs, and welcome to My Climate Journey. This show follows my journey to interview a wide range of guests to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and try to figure out how people like you and I can help. On today's episode of the MCJ Startup Series, we welcome Astrid Atkinson, the co-founder and CEO of Camus Energy. Camus Energy focuses on decarbonization through grid management and transformation. Existing energy grids are one way. They are set up to get power from a set number of generator facilities to homes and businesses. Camus is working towards a two-way grid, which can harness the power of local resources and flexible demand. To create a two-way grid, they are putting into place a distribution system operator that actually works. Their software works in three parts, situational awareness and monitoring, forecasting and control, and market services. And the goal is to achieve a zero-carbon electric grid. We have a great discussion in this episode about the grid in general, how it works, some of its shortcomings, how it should work to get us to where we need to go, and how Camus Energy can help. Astrid, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. I'm excited to have you and uh, especially appreciative that you're making the time during this, this crazy time. You're uh, right in the thick of, uh, of um, the fires that are going on. Yeah, I mean, as, as we were just kind of talking about before we started recording, um, my family evacuated last week from the Santa Cruz Mountains fire, which at this point is uh, driven, driven evacuations all the way from UCSC to Stanford throughout the whole Santa Cruz Mountains region. So it's a really relevant time to be working in climate facing work. Yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a lag time before this publishes. But um, yeah, for anybody that's tuning in. This is uh, this is late August when the fires are are raging. Um, um, well, I, I tell you what. I really hope that by the time this does air, that the fires are out because that would be that'd be really nice. Um, uh, the size of fires in the past in California, we've seen that it kind of lasts on until the rains start in mudslide season. So, a lot of people are displaced at the moment, um, and you know, there's a there's a really strong climate dimension to everything that's happening right now. So. I'm excited to talk about, you know, what we're doing to try to help. Yeah. And so, I mean, I could either ask you, you know, I mean, it would be great to hear about uh, Camus and what you do and, and how the company came about uh, and kind of your path to, to working in, in climate tech, but I'll leave it up to you. You can 
we can talk a bit about that up front and then get into the slides or you can just jump right into the materials, whichever you prefer. Well, I'm so glad you asked because um, I actually was planning to start there. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Let's do it. Which is just to give, you know, a little bit of background to, you know, why we came to start the company and then you know, kind of go on and talk about what we're looking to do. But, um, you know, why, why are we doing this? Like, what is it that we do? So just to give a little bit of orientation before I get into the details, um, Camus does uh, grid management software as a service. Um, we work with uh, utilities, particularly community-based and distribution utilities, to help them through the process of decarbonization and grid transformation. So I'll talk more about all of that in a minute. But first, I just wanted to talk for a minute about why. Um, and, you know, for, for me, um, the process that led up to the founding of Camus along with my co-founders um, was really the, the kind of long-term process of answering a question of, uh, if, if you accept that climate change is the, the most important challenge of our generation, which I, I believe is true, um, what is it that each of us individually can do to help? And in particular, you know, I really believe that if you want to help with a problem, you should try to figure out like, okay, what are my superpowers and where are those most useful in the problem space that I want to engage in? So for me personally, this started um, about kind of seven or eight years ago. Um, my son is seven. Um, and when he was born, that really, for me, changed climate from an, a kind of abstract concern about sort of an unknown future to a really concrete one. You know, he was born in 2013. And by 2050, um, he'll be you know, about 37, um, which is, you know, roughly, roughly the age that I was when I was getting serious about potentially leaving Google to go do something that was climate adjacent or climate facing. Um, and so for me, that, that just became very personal, right? It's, it you know, moved from like, okay, well, what's the future look like? So like, you know, what, what world does he live in? What world do my grandkids live in? Um, and for me personally, like I'll be retiring then. And so like, I, I'm planning on retiring here on earth where all my stuff is and I, I don't want it to be terrible. Um, so this is kind of what I was thinking about, you know, over some number of years as I was watching the climate change in California. Um, I live in the forests, which are currently on fire. And for the, you know, 15 of the 20 years I lived there, they were really damp and really cold. And in the last seven or eight years, they've gotten really dry and really flammable. And so all this kind of came together for me. Um, and so while I was at Google, which is where I was about for about 15 years prior to starting this company, and solving a lot of really interesting software challenges, I really started to think seriously about like, what are my skills good for in the climate space and where could that be really interesting and potentially impactful? Um, and so that's where I got um, particularly interested in grid technology and how we manage the grid. Um, you know, the, the kind of like really short thumbnail version of decarbonization is basically kind of a two-step piece. It's you know, electrify everything and then decarbonize the grid. And now of course there's a lot of sect sectors that that doesn't account for, but you know, a good portion of energy usage, like that's kind of, that's kind of the, the roadmap. Um, and so, you know, I saw an application for technology that uh, I'm, I'm particularly good at and have a, a lot of professional background in, in the grid management space, and particularly helping this process of decarbonization, you know, looking at that kind of step two. So that, that's kind of how we came into this. Um, and well, then was it a, was it a windy path to go from 15 years at Google to the grid? Uh, like, did you look at a number of different areas within decarbonization before you got to the grid or, or did um, you know out of the I, gates that that was where to go? 
I did look at a number of different areas. And so the things that I was looking for were complex system problems. Um, getting lots of things to work together was my specialty at Google. I started at Google in the site reliability engineering group, which specializes basically in sort of making large systems work in practice. And a lot of the work that I did there was helping to pioneer Google's approach to large scale systems engineering. So like, how do you get 10,000 or 100,000 or a million things to all work together extremely reliably? Um, so for about five years, I ran the team that was responsible for Google's um, external homepage. So like google.com reliability. Um, and so we did a lot of work on kind of pioneering approaches to five nines reliability um, in a distributed systems environment, which was really new and really groundbreaking at the time. And no one, you know, Five Nines Engineering um, up until that point had been, a, had been a very command and control kind of environment. So thinking about like telephony or utility scale planning or something like that, um, where you're typically dealing with a very constrained environment that's well controlled. Um, thinking about getting that kind of reliability out of distributed systems is what we did at Google. And so um, you know, looking at the challenges facing the grid, landscape and it might be a good moment to kind of move forward. Um, this is something where I felt like our background in systems level engineering that involved a lot of different components working together um, would be particularly helpful. Um, and so I got interested in grid technology early and I spent probably five or six years talking to people in the space and trying to make sure that I really understood it um, and prior to sort of moving and doing anything about it. And and once you started focusing on uh, the the grid, um, how did the, what was the origin story in terms of finding the angle uh, that ultimately turned into Camus? Yeah, so you know, I I, I had some um, ideas that I think came out relatively early around where we could be helpful in terms of technology approach. Um, so thinking in particular about. You know, what are the systems that help lots of different components work well together? Um, you know, large-scale telemetry, um, large-scale computation, um, analysis, forecasting, um, and then control and kind of large-scale load balancing challenges are things that, you know, we have a technology background in that is relevant here. But that's not the same as building a, a business. Um, and it actually took me probably two or three years to figure out whether there was a business here. Um, you know, grid technology for the last 10 years or so has been interesting, but really difficult. Um, it's, it's not easy selling to utilities or working with utilities for a number of like very good structural reasons. Um, and uh, figuring out what, you know, what is the business that you could put around this technology set um, was probably one of the biggest challenges um, ended up actually working with someone who is a friend of a friend who's a business model consultant, works with engineers on thinking about um, how to build businesses out of technology propositions, um, in addition to a number of other folks that I talked to. Um, but, you know, thinking about, like, where are there opportunities in the space? What's the path to market for a technology set that is looking at um, potentially engaging in a, in a pretty crowded existing space? You know, whether, where are there opportunities for transformational change? What kind of a business is it? Um, those were all really big questions that we had to answer. And so I guess I'll just cut to the chase and say that like the place where we ended up was a couple different things that were kind of interesting differentiators. Um, one was looking at a software, to, software as a service angle, which is very new in the, the utility and the grid environment. Um, one was uh, 
looking at taking an open source approach. And so bringing more of a collaborative and a community focused approach to grid technology and grid management software, which is also not something that's really been broadly adopted to date. Um, and then there's a couple components around looking at kind of business model transformation in the utility space, which I'll talk about when we get into kind of the DSO piece in a second. Great. So maybe it'd be helpful, and you, 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 you probably go through this in your slides, but to kind of flip it around and talk about from the grid standpoint, what was wrong with it and what was the yeah. initial nugget in terms of the, the problem that, that the company is attempting to solve? Yeah. I mean, so one thing that's really important to keep in mind when we think about grid transformation is that the existing grid actually works really well. Um, this is one of humanity's kind of great achievements of civilization. It, um, it, there's still plenty of people in the world who lack access to reliable electricity, but for a good portion of the world, um, providing universal um, equitable access to electricity is a really big driver of transformation, um, you know, improvements in quality of life, equality of opportunity for folks you know, around the country and around the world. And the initial process of getting that infrastructure rolled out to people um, was really very transformational. It was part of the original New Deal in the United States. Um, we do a lot of work with rural cooperatives. I'll talk about that in a minute. But many of them were actually set up under the original New Deal. Um, and that was you know, really all about giving access to opportunity to people in rural areas as well as folks in cities. Um, and so when we think about like what needs to happen in the grid space, it's really important to kind of start by acknowledging that the grid has already been transformational um, and the current grid actually works pretty well, but there are some things that need to change. And so I'll talk about that a little bit. Um, sorry. Uh, so, you know, the, the role of the existing grid is really to get power from generation facilities, which tend to be few, large and far away. Um, basically to people's houses and businesses where it's needed. And it does that very well. That, that's, that's what it was designed for and it accomplishes it quite, quite nicely. Um, but as we look at you know, what's changing in that environment, in particular, what needs to change to support decarbonization, um, there's really a couple things that are kind of important axes of change. Um, one of them is that as we transition towards um, sources of energy, which are more variable, um, the methodology for managing energy supply really needs to shift away from a model where like the major axis of control is turning supply up and down on fossil fuel plants towards one where you're also potentially managing demand. Um, so there's a really good quote, um, and I wish I could tell you who it was from, um, that, that you know, in the past we, uh, we forecast demand and we turn supply up and down to match. Um, in the future, that almost needs to reverse. We, we forecast supply um, and to a large degree, we turn, we turn demand up and down to match. And so what's required for that? We really need to get the edges of the grid where the demand happens engaged in the broader grid management landscape. And so, you know, I'm gonna talk a little bit in a moment about like why we chose the model that we did, which is really engaging at the local kind of community level. Um, but the biggest reason for that is that you really need to be able to kind of pull up all these places where demand is happening, um, whether that's uh, commercial industrial customers or people's houses, you know, smart homes, um, EV charging, um, batteries as they come online and so forth, um, and provide a mechanism for them to engage in the broader grid management landscape, um, both locally and also into um, wholesale markets. 
Is, is this for both uh, deregulated and regulated markets? Yes, and in different ways. Um, so for folks who aren't familiar with the, the kind of energy environment, um, deregulated markets are ones that allow various forms of competition. Um, regulated markets typically don't. In a regulated market, a regulated utility provides vertical service um, all the way from generation to supply. Um, in deregulated or partially deregulated markets, there's competition amongst generators um, in many, many partially deregulated markets and uh, potentially competition for retail providers in fully deregulated markets. Um, so in the US, only Texas is a fully deregulated market. Um, other countries like Australia and the UK, um, New Zealand, uh, to some degree Japan, have fully deregulated electricity markets and they've done a lot of really interesting work in this space. Um, the US has a, a broad patchwork of different regulation states, but you know, to answer your question, this change needs to happen everywhere. Um, but the dimensions of it tend to change depending on the environment that you're operating within. Um, I'll keep moving forward. Um, there's another really important part of this, um, which I will skip straight forward and talk about. Um, one of the really big challenges as you look at ways that this landscape can change is thinking about the economic model of the current grid and preserving that original um, public access component. So really thinking about the question of energy equity, who uses the system, who benefits from it, who pays for it. Um, if you think about places where you can drive change within the grid landscape, um, there's a couple different, you know, there's a few different choices. One is at the very edges, you know, putting rooftop solar on people's houses, putting smart management into people's homes or to, um, to commercial buildings or you know, really focusing on kind of the consumer side. Um, that's really useful and really helpful but not everybody can afford to do that and not everybody has access to those technologies. And so thinking about models of change that support universal access um, is really important as we think about how do we transform this system. Um, if you look to the other end of the spectrum um, and looking at kind of the wholesale markets and very large scale production, um, this is also a place where a lot of change is happening and where you can drive a lot of change, but those markets don't really have a way for folks at the edge, folks on the retail side or any of those smart homes and so forth to participate. Um, and so within the US, this is really, really challenging today. In other markets, this is starting to move more. So in the UK, for example, they're starting to get models that allow um, retail customers to engage within the broader energy markets. But this is a change that needs to happen. If you wanna connect variable supply on the wholesale side to variable demands on the consumer side, you need to figure out how to connect them. Um, at the same time, the, the local grids that that energy traverses are getting more and more complicated. So you know, cutting a long story short, the place where we've really chosen to engage um, is looking at that kind of local grid distribution environment um, where the rubber meets the road in terms of getting energy from the edges to the wholesale markets and vice versa and managing the relationships between those. We like that for, oops, sorry, go ahead. Oh, oh I was just gonna ask, where's the DIY infrastructure that businesses are starting to stand up uh, or, or residents for that matter? Where, where does that fit in? Um, it's part of the broader landscape. Um, so there are plenty of folks who are putting in microgrids. Um, and in fact, we're working with a couple of folks who are doing that right now, both from the utility side and also from the commercial side. Um, you know, there's plenty of people who are putting in home systems. Um, you know, I have, I have solar at my own house and really interested in putting in batteries. Um, 
one really big challenge for those edge developments today is that there's not really a good way for them to participate in local grid management in most places. Um, ideally, if I put a battery in my house, the utility would pay me for use of it when you know, I'm not using it to serve my own um, you know, kind of power outage backup purposes. And there'd be a way for me to recoup some of that cost and that battery could act as a grid asset. Um, that's not possible in most places today. Um, and so part of the reason why we chose to engage at the local system level is that we want to provide a mechanism for making that possible and also making it monetizable. Great. Um, I think the other really big question that, you know, we were trying to answer and one of the reasons that's kind of driving this model of engagement for us is just the question of like, if we want to make a big change in the next five to 10 years, what's the best way to do that? And so from my perspective, you know, there's a, there's a large number of technologies out there that are helping to drive transformation today. Um, but we had better be willing to make a change and able to make a change on the systems that are, you know, the technologies that are already commercially viable and already in the field and being broadly deployed. Um, there's kind of not enough time for like a silver bullet new technology to really address decarbonization. And so the question then becomes like, how do you get all of these different technologies to work well together? Um, and so that's the other reason why we're really focused on this kind of integrative technology and grid landscape, because this is the place where you can really bring those technologies together and help them work um, in coordination with one another. So Great. So, so, and, uh, so, so are you going to talk about the, the Camu solution <laughs> and services? Yeah, um, I would love to. So you know, we have a perspective on this. You'll be totally shocked to hear. Um, you know, what does this mean in terms of how we manage grids today? Um, well, in the utility space and in the grid management conversation, there's this kind of growing idea around a distribution system operator construct. And this is the idea that a local grid operator or a local distribution utility um, might potentially take on a role that's similar to what um, an independent system operator does at a very broad scale within the wholesale market. Um, which is taking responsibility not just for the nuts and bolts of like connecting people's houses to the grid and approving interconnection requests for solar and making sure that you know service is maintained during storms, which is a, you know kind of the core of the business today, um, but also starting to think actively around some of the system operator um, responsibilities that you know many utilities carry in some form today, but not in a really coherent way. And so you know really specifically. Um, that's starting to look at things like managing supply and demand, potentially in real time, um, introducing ideas around real time balancing, um, real time dispatch of assets, um, asset coordination, um, and then looking at market integration for those components. So it's really this idea of kind of moving from a system which goes one way, which is really just about distributing power from wholesale markets and remote generators to people's houses and businesses and more towards one that can operate in a, in a bi-directional manner. Um, not just from a physical perspective, like can the wires push some energy? Because um, in general they can, um, but really in terms of the management that goes along with that. Like how do you manage that system? Um, how do you make sure that it's reliable and cost-effective and works for people? So are the customers utilities and retail energy providers? That's exactly right, yeah. So today we primarily work with um, distribution utilities and similar entities. So in California, that includes the community choice aggregators, which provide retail service that, um, on behalf of communities in California. Um, 
It also includes um, potentially retail utilities, um, and it definitely includes distribution utilities. So we primarily work with um, smaller distribution utilities today. And do you feel like directionally, as there's more uh, DIY infrastructure, uh, is are are the are the energy providers of today going to be the energy providers of tomorrow? I think that's a really it's a really good question, and I'm not sure that anyone really has the answer to that. Um, it's something that you know we're in the process of exploring with the utilities that we work with, but um, it's a really a really broad concern within the utility industry um, as to what does the business model look like as utilities evolve forward. Um, every time someone puts roof, you know, rooftop solar on their house, they basically remove their load from the system. Um, and when you look at the economics of the system as a whole, um, that means that, you know, for one, costs are being increasingly borne by people who don't um, have the capability to do that. Um, and it also means that the, the load profiles and the nature of the work that the physical infrastructure of the grid is doing is changing pretty dramatically. So on the one hand, you have you know, kind of declining revenue for utilities. And on the other, you have greatly increasing management complexity. So that's something that utilities are really concerned about. Um, there's a bunch of different ways this could go. Maybe utilities move to being a poles and wires business where they have the responsibility for managing just the physical infrastructure of the grid. Um, this is something that some utilities are actively transitioning towards. For example, San Diego Gas and Electric in Southern California wants this to happen and is coordinating with the, you know, the retail providers in their community providers in their area um, to make that transition proactively. Um, you know, in other places, distribution utilities are looking to potentially change their business model and become you know, maybe more of a market operator um, or you know, maybe more of a platform operator. But this is still really early. No one really knows exactly what model is going to be best. And I think people are trying different things in different places. But if I'm hearing right, are you focused on helping the energy providers manage across their, the grid assets and the DIY assets that are getting stood up by the uh, commercial entities and residential? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so you know, for uh, the distribution utilities that we work with today, um, I would say everybody has microgrid projects in their territory. And in general, um, there's quite a lot of you know, DIY or behind the meter development happening in those areas. So thinking about like, how do you effectively operate the grid in the presence of those assets? And how do you um, even take advantage of those assets to operate the grid more effectively um, is a really big part of what we do. So maybe, I'll move, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll move forward and we can talk a little bit more about what that looks like in practice. Great. Yeah. Um, so actually, I guess I'll just take one moment and talk about um, team and philosophy, because I think this is really important. Um, before we go ahead and talk about like what we're building, um, I just wanted to spend a moment and talk a little bit about you know, how we're approaching the problem of transformation in the space. And that has a lot to do with team. Um, you know, I come in from a kind of big tech background, having spent 15 years at Google, um, as does Cody, our CTO. So, you know, we have a certain perspective on software technology and how to solve big problems with software in kind of revolutionary ways, thinking about system transformation, reliability, coordination, these kinds of things. But the last thing that the grid space or, you know, honestly, most industries need 
people rolling in from Silicon Valley being like, oh, I thought about your problem for a minute and I definitely know how to fix it. Um, and so to us, it was really important that if we wanted to engage in this space, that we would do it in a way that was informed and that was actually responsive to the needs of um, the, the utilities and other entities that we're trying to support. Um, and that was kind of informed by an understanding of the industry. And so like when I was looking to bring the team together, um, I was explicitly kind of reaching out to try to find partners who had more of an energy background and really came from the energy and renewable technology space. And so, you know, just in terms of like who's on the team at this point, it's about 50, 50 people who came from software um, and folks who came from the energy and renewable energy spaces. Um, and so, you know, we've got folks on the team who came in from the department of energy um, and Ted on our team came in from PG&E prior to this um, Milt on our team uh, headed up some of G's um, product development around uh, power plant modeling and did a lot of work in renewable energy development, power plant modeling. Um, and so, you know, for us, like making sure that we take an informed approach to what we do is really critical because like I said, we don't, we don't just want to like come in with ideas about what we might, you know, what software might do to fix the problem. We want to come in with an understanding of what it really needs to do. Um, and so I wanted to just like kind of mention that because I think that it, it's really easy to come in from either a software side, you know, perspective or an energy perspective um, and get the other side wrong. Um, to me personally, as a leader as well, um, bringing in that diversity of perspectives and kind of diversity of approaches um, is really important. Makes good sense to me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking similarly uh, um, as I make this transition that the, yeah, the, I mean, in, in theory, the magic happens when the, best of Silicon Valley meets the best of the domain expertise in whatever domain you're trying to decarbonize. I, I think, yeah, the hard part is in practice actually, yeah. you know, ma making, uh, you know, ma making those marriages and partnerships work yeah. in a way that is, uh, you know, seamless and, and additive. Yeah. Um, that's honestly one reason that I'm really excited about what you're doing um, because I definitely found when I was transitioning that I, my network was all tech and had very few connections into energy. Um, and it was hard to really figure out who to talk to and, you know, who to listen to, um, you know, as I was looking to extend my network. And so I think like, you know, it, it, introducing perspectives on engaging in the climate space and also introducing people to each other um, across those barriers and boundaries is really helpful. So it's just like a kind of a small plug for community engagement. It's really, really critical. Oh, thanks Astrid. Uh, great. So let's talk about the Camus product. Yeah. Um, so our platform basically consists of three components. Um, there's a situational awareness component, which if you're from tech, I would call monitoring. Um, <laughs> but uh, in the utility space, situational awareness is kind of the term of art. Um, there's a forecasting and control component, um, which is basically our orchestration engine. Um, and then there's a market integration component. Um, and just in terms of, just to share like our progress today, we're only about a year and a half old. So, you know, of these pieces, our situational awareness component is productionized and in the field today with its first two customers. Um, the forecasting and control piece is going into the field now, um, kind of moving out of prototype and into deployment. Um, and the market piece is under development and you know, more in the forward looking roadmap for us. But this is something that we're working on with our anchor customers. And we're actually really excited to work together to kind of explore some of these business model transformation challenges 
Um, so that's been really exciting. And what would be an example of a market service? Um, so there's really two of these. Um, one is aggregating local resources into wholesale markets and being able to provide uh, both energy and um, services. Uh, so like frequency response and stuff like that out of local resources into wholesale markets. Um, the other is providing local um, monetary compensation mechanisms for um, local resource procurement. So that would be like the utility paying you for use of your home battery when you weren't using it for, you know, home usage purposes um, mm -hmm. uh, or potentially paying you for load shifting um, with your, when you charge your EV um, for example. So I'll talk about this in just a sec, but um, for many utilities, exactly when you use energy is really important to their financial landscape. And so um, paying people to actively participate in that process um, actually has quite a bit of financial upside to them. And providing markets and monetary pricing mechanisms to allow them to do that is a really big part of the transformation that we talk about when we look at utility business models. Great. And, uh, and what about uh, timeline and traction? Um, timeline in terms of... Uh, in, uh, so like when did the company start? Uh, you know, when, when did you officially launch the product? Uh, um, you know, what, what kinds and how many customers are you dealing with today to whatever extent you yeah. want to share just just some uh um some context around where you're at as a as a company and business yeah absolutely um so we started the company about a year and a half ago so we're quite young um we're currently seed stage um so we closed a seed round in december of last year which was really a very fortunate time to close a seed round <laughs> because right after that covid kind of kicked in and it made things more complicated in the landscape, although I will say that working with utilities is a very stable um, industry. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, as I mentioned, our, our products are still in the development process, um, some you know, further along than others. Um, one choice that we made early on was that we really didn't want to develop in a vacuum. So we built some prototypes um, in prior to engaging with real customers, but we went looking really early for anchor customers that were interested in co-development. Um, and so we were really fortunate to encounter you know, a couple utility entities that were um, eager to partner with us on doing that. Um, and so, you know, that was sort of a hybrid commercial engagement and kind of co-development relationship in both cases. Basically, we didn't charge them very much um, on the understanding that we didn't yet have a product and we're going to be building one. <laughs> um, and so... You know, I've done a lot of software infrastructure development in, you know, in the past. Um, a, good portion, a good portion of my background at Google was doing large-scale shared infrastructure development and really thinking about how to generalize that process. Um, and so, you know, I have this kind of standard methodology that I use for building repeatable infrastructure at this point, which really kind of starts with, you know, you need one customer who has a problem that they actively want to solve because you can't sell anything to anyone who doesn't. Um, and they need to be pretty motivated and they need to be pretty forward thinking if you want to partner with them on building something new. So we were really fortunate to find that customer. Um, we were working with Kit Carson Electric Cooperative in New Mexico. Um, they're a really forward thinking utility that has some really aggressive um, solar energy goals of their own. Um, and so we were really lucky to partner with them at a moment when they were looking to, to find um, software support to be able to manage their grid as they went through a process of transitioning away from primarily like traditional coal source power from you know, across, across their transmission providers network to primarily local solar. 
Um, so they have a goal to get to 100% local solar during the day by 2022. They'll be there by early next year. Um, and so we've been working with them for a bit over a year now. And so our, our deployment with them is the most mature. Um, and what that really looks like is a, a kind of full-scale um, situational awareness integration in the field um, and early stages of starting to integrate control with them. Um, we have uh, two other utility scale customers. So one is a CCA here in the Bay Area. Um, another is a, a distribution utility, uh, another distribution co-op in Colorado. Um, also very forward thinking um, with some really aggressive goals around decarbonization. Um, we have a couple of other projects ongoing. Um, we have a, a partnership, open source partnership um, with VMware right now um, doing um, a microgrid demonstration project with them. Um, and that's, that's being collaboratively developed with them as kind of the start of our open source platform. Um, and then we have some other relationships ongoing, including a kind of a long-term conversation with one of the independent system operators. Um, so, you know, kind of early days, but we're starting to scale up and look at repeatable and commercial deployments. Um, and, you know, in the process of conversations with a number of other utilities right now around starting projects with them. And so if you look out over, say, the next 12 months or 18 months, or I guess however long you're thinking and, and planning for, what are the key milestones that you're driving towards as a company in this phase? Um, I'd say there are really two um, for kind of the six to 12 month timeframe. Um, one of them is just more commercial deployments. Um, you know, as we look towards a series A, um, you know, we're effectively an enterprise SaaS business today. Um, and so we're looking to follow kind of that, that kind of growth pattern. Um, so scaling out to more similar customers and demonstrating repeatability, both in terms of business development and sales, as well as in terms of product development and deployment um, is one of our big goals. So we're really looking to engage with more smaller utilities um, and continue to kind of build our business in that area. Um, and the other is looking to go a little bit deeper in terms of some of the business transformation, business model transformation work with our uh, two existing um, anchor uh, co-op partners that are both really interested in looking at this DSO transition and thinking about what that might mean for them and their business. Um, we're really eager to work with them and kind of prove some of that in the field, including looking at a more transactive model for engaging their edge resources. Um, and supporting their financial goals in terms of transition to renewables as well as their decarbonization goals. And uh, SaaS company for life, or do you have any aspirations to become an energy provider at some point in the future? Um, we're really interested in providing the DSO platform um, as a service, which involves basically being a market operator or a market carrier. Um, we envision doing that in partnership with other entities, um, probably primarily distribution utilities, but could also be retail utilities, um, could potentially be ISOs or other sort of similar operator entities. Um, but a really big part of the impact story from our perspective is you know, really kind of um, starting to engage with the question of who pays whom for what in the energy landscape. You know, today, that's overwhelmingly, that money goes to um, large fossil-powered uh, power plants. Um, it's starting to go to renewables. Um, sometimes it goes to battery projects. Um, it really probably should go nearly all to renewables um, and you know, potentially other decarbonized power sources. 
Um, some of it should go to consumers who are actively participating in markets. Um, and some of it should go to assets that are kind of in the middle, um, potentially either utility scale assets or community scale assets. Um, and so if you look at that, that's a pretty big transformation in terms of the economic landscape within the grid. Um, and I will say that we are by no means the only people chasing this transition. Um, but, you know, if you think that there's a potential for shifting 20 to 40% of energy procurement away from large scale centralized resources to local resources, um, and that's about roughly the ballpark of sort of conservative to more aggressive estimates that I've seen through folks like Rewiring America and NREL. Um, that's a lot of change in who gets paid for services within the grid landscape. And so we're really interested in helping that to happen because we think it's good for decarbonization. But, you know, that's also potentially a, a really interesting place to be building a business. Um, we want to we facilitate that change. Uh-huh. And, um, uh, and, and feel free not to discuss this if, if you don't want to go down this path, but what kind of timing are you thinking for the Series A? And I guess the other question is, given um, how you talked about the intersection and wanting to have DNA on the core team, that's a mix of energy and, uh, and tech, I'd be interested to hear how you're thinking about um, that Series A as it relates to investor DNA. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our timing for our Series A is um, either uh, Q4 of this year or Q1 of next. Um, mm -hmm. Our roadmap actually extends, or sorry, our, our runway extends a bit further than that, but um, we think that we'll be ready at that point and looking to scale up. Um, basically, you know, as, as we pull in sort of a, the next handful of customers, there, there's going to come an inflection point where it's going to make sense to scale up the team to really kind of engage with that opportunity and scale it out. And so we think it'll be around that timing. Um, in terms of investor mix, you know, very similar to how I was thinking about building the core team. Um, I, I really like having a, a team that covers both the energy side and the tech side on the investor side as well. So we explicitly chose that when we were um, you know, kind of fig figuring out who we wanted to engage with for our seed round. Um, and so, you know, our seed round was a uh, clean tech investor congruent on the one side and a uh, tech focused investor um, named Wave Capital that is, has a, a tech markets focus um, on the tech side. And I'm, I'm really intending to kind of continue that pattern as we move into future um, funding rounds. And there's a couple of benefits there. One is that um, investors bring relationships on, you know, on the side of the house that they come from. And so having those additional relationships and um, background and experience from the energy side is really, really helpful to us. Um, you know, the, the other is that we are building a software business and um, perspective on how to do that effectively and how to do that successfully, something that tech funders have a lot of background with. And so we found it really beneficial to, to have both of those voices at the table and we'll continue to pursue that. And did you have other uh, slides that you were hoping to cover? Or did we get through them? Um, why don't I show you real quick, um, just a quick look at what the actual product interface or what the product looks like. Sounds great. Yep. Um, so just in terms of like what this looks like in practice, um, now these are, these are mocks because I, I can't show you our actual customer deployments. 
Um, but, you know, I mentioned that there were, there were basically kind of three components. There's a, there's a monitoring component, there's an analysis component, and then there's a direct and market-based control component. Um, so when we do the monitoring component, this is really an integrative monitoring product. What we do is connect to sources of data that are in the field today and that are publicly available for utilities. Mm -hmm. And then we pull it together into a unified view. So, you know, typically utilities have, um, a substation and network instrumentation through their SCADA systems. They usually have, um, if they have smart meters, then they have uh, customer data through their smart metering systems. They have information about their customers through customer information systems. They have information about their grid through GIS systems. Um, our product is integrative and basically pulls all of those together. In addition, um, if they have relationships that will allow us to access third-party telemetry, um, or we can build those relationships ourselves, we will also seek to integrate third-party telemetry. So. Um, you know, that might be ChargePoint or Tesla or Nest or, you know, any provider that the utility has a formal relationship with. Um, there are also publicly available sources that we can integrate with and kind of put it all together. So just putting those data sources together is actually pretty valuable to utilities. And this is often where we start with them. Um, in the utility space, um, this product is effectively a lightweight ADMS, which is Advanced Distribution Management System. Um, those tend to be very expensive. Um, and very heavyweight, like it's usually like a five to $100 million project that runs 10 years for utilities to deploy. Um, and so we think that by coming in with like a software as a service perspective, that's much lighter weight, um, a little bit cheaper, um, and can be deployed more quickly as an integration on top of existing components, that there's actually a lot of value add just in that. Um, and that tends to be where our engagements start. Um, you know, looking you know, into the future, um, providing utilities with the tools to make decisions about their energy mix is a really important part of thinking about decarbonization and um, transformation within their space. So I mentioned that like, one of our goals was providing tools to think about managing supply and demand within the energy landscape. This is really where the rubber meets the road on being able to make effective use of renewables and flexibility. Because if, if utilities aren't able to count on those resources and plan for them to be there, they will continue to rely on the existing sources and those are primarily fossil based. So making renewables visible, um, integrated into the overall landscape of grid management um, and making them predictable and um, providing tools for insight into what they're doing, um, both on a sort of day to day and also a forward looking basis. It's a really big part of helping utilities to make that change. And so that's, you know, that's also an important part of what we do with them. It's a weird analogy, but it almost reminds me of like, uh, you know, a, like a sustainable clothing company, for example. It's, it's great that the clothing is more sustainable, but, uh, you know, if it doesn't hold up every time I put it in the wash or, uh, or it's not stretchy enough for when I go on a run or things like that, then it's not doing its job. So while it's cleaner, it's going to be hard for me to make that, a, you know, for, for, to, to make that an ongoing part of my wardrobe and renewables are the same where yep. uh, you know even if utilities aspire to do the right thing they have a job to do and if if renewables make it harder for them to do their job effectively for their customers then it puts them in a really tough spot yeah and actually so when, when we engage with utilities um we don't necessarily sell primarily on the basis of supporting decarbonization um, we actually engage with them in a lot of cases on the basis of helping them to operate their grids more reliably in the presence mm -hmm. of increased complexity. 
Um, and so as utilities see the kinds of changes that come with renewables, um, you know, they, they're really concerned with maintaining reliability. Um, and so providing them with tools to help with that and even to have renewables support that rather than challenge it um, is, you know, it's a, it's a really big um, part of the value proposition to utilities. It's probably a more effective tactic than shame. I, mean, <laughs> I can't say that definitively, but and um, I, I also pretty please probably doesn't work quite as well. Um, I've never tried shame <laughs> as a sales tactic, um, but, but <laughs> I think either saving money or providing more reliable service tends, tends to work pretty well. Yeah. Mandates work well too, but, uh, but, but um, yeah, in absence of mandates, totally agree. <laughs> mandates do work well as a backstop, but what we find is that if you both have the mandate to meet and you can do it more cheaply and with a better quality of service, like that's a great story. Yeah, Totally. Um, so just, you know, real quick, in terms of what this looks like, um, translating from monitoring to control, um, you actually want to be able to use these resources and make them part of the control landscape. And so this is, you know, where I talked about predictability and providing insights so that utilities can actually use these things. Um, having a view of traditional grid assets and network integrated with the smart devices that are coming online and being able to pull them in as an explicit part of the control landscape is a really big part of, you know, what we're looking to do as we support utilities through this transition. Um, and that tends to take one of two forms. Um, utilities really like direct command and control. And so often there are assets that they control, such as batteries um, that they control directly and deploy themselves or community scale solar that they have a, a direct hand in. Um, they also often might have programs where they've got customers sort of signed up explicitly to have assets managed. Um, and so if that's the case and they can direct, directly control those assets, then, you know, by all means, that's a, it's a fine model. Um, that's where most utilities sit today in terms of distributed asset control. Um, but it's worth noting in a forward looking way and kind of getting back to that point around like what's the long-term transformation path and what's the business that we're building that it's actually kind of a hard sell to get literally every one of your potentially millions of customers to sign up to your, to their like EV charge management program. And so, you know, if you think about like, how do you motivate people to actually actively participate in the grid and provide assets to potentially you know, provide valuable services, um, best way is probably to pay them. And so that's really the big, you know, the big kind of driving force from a practicality perspective behind our market integration approach is just thinking about like, how do you compensate people for those services in a way that motivates them to participate in the grid more broadly? Um, and potentially even motivates them to remain connected to the grid if they have the capability to drop off and self-manage. Um, you know, can we provide them an alternative proposition where they could just make money off their connected assets rather than leaving the grid entirely? So that is, the, is the Camus value proposition there to, um, to provide the information in a digestible way that then informs the utility to go put that program in place? Or do you envision that Camus will ultimately power these programs as well? No, we, we intend to, um, and in fact, we're putting in place the infrastructure to directly power them. So mm -hmm. um, assets get enrolled in programs, um, then we directly signal them, and then we settle. Um, and that's how that works today. Um, where we would really like to get to is dynamic real-time pricing. Um, and that's something that utilities have some intentions around. Um, and you know, so there's a, there's a range of models that could work there, but, but we operate those systems directly. Yeah, it's another weird analogy, but it reminds me a bit of the uh, the um, analytics companies that started with analytics and then ultimately uh, um, sell advertising. 
right? I mean, it's a, yeah, it's, not, so it's, it's a very different application, but the point is that it's like, you know, you come in helping inform, but then once you inform and they're relying on you for the visibility, then they're going to want to do things and then you can enable them to actually do those things as well over time. Yeah, and I would say yeah. that, um, that analogy um, probably holds in the sense that um, those companies are effectively providing monetization on top of an existing network and data and application platform. Um, and so, you know, we don't provide advertising, but we do provide um, monetization platforms on top of an existing set of infrastructure. Um, and so I would say that, you know, from that perspective, the analogy kind of holds. Yeah, in your gist, uh, you're, you're just giving them ways to make, you know, uh, not just to make the data actionable, but to actually, uh, um, you know, proceed with the action as, yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 So thinking about how to monetize um, the, the operational data that's already being collected and fold that back into utility business model. Yeah, I think that, that's a really important part of what we're looking to do here. Nice. And, and so... Uh, in what areas do you need help? If, for anyone listening that, that likes what they're hearing, uh, you know, what, what type of inbound are you hoping to, hoping to cultivate from coming on the show? Um, you know, we're, we're always look, interested in talking to folks who are potentially, you know, looking for a company to join in the decarbonization and kind of, kind of tech decarbonization space. So, um, you know, software engineers, um, project managers, folks with the utility background, folks with the power systems background, um, and we're always excited to talk to you know, potential new team members. Um, you know, we're not quite ready to raise money yet, um, but we, you know, we'll certainly be reaching out to investors to potentially build longer-term relationships um, over the next sort of six-ish months. Um, and so, I would say that in particular, I, I prefer working with investors that I've had a chance to get to know, um, and so. You know, if, if there's anyone listening who's particularly interested in this business or kind of business model, um, I'd love to have a chat and just you know, see if there's any mutual interest. Then um, the last is, you know, if, if you're in a company that is looking to monetize ad, uh, grid services um, or one that is engaged with supporting utilities and are potentially interested in working with us either in a commercial or an open source capacity, um, we would love to talk about potential partnerships. Uh, I, I mentioned up front that we're taking an open source approach and the motivation behind that is really to be able to take advantage of ecosystem benefits and the opportunity to collaborate with others in looking to drive this change. It's a really big change and one that we don't think we can do by ourselves. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're definitely interested in collaborations on that front. And the, the last question that uh, I probably should have asked you before I asked you where you need help, but I forgot about it and remembered as you were talking is just, uh, you'd mentioned up front that, that uh, impact on the problem of climate change was a really big motiv motivator for you in choosing this company and this problem. So I'm just curious, uh, and it's probably one that, I mean, especially if they're a market-based investor, they're probably not asking you, but um, how do you know as the company scales if you're having the kind of impact that you aspired to on the problem? Um, it's a really good question, and this is something that we track um, qualitatively right now, but I'm really interested in switching to a quantitative um, accounting process for like actual carbon impact. Mm -hmm. um, you know, qualitatively, we know that we're supporting transition from you know, our, our 
customer co-ops and CCAs uh, towards renewable energy sources. So for the folks that we work with in New Mexico, um, you know, we've seen them go from 35% solar during the day to 75% solar during the day in just the last six months. Um, their overall carbon footprint is not that large because they're, you know, they're relatively small utility, but you know, that, that is a real change. That's coal that's not being burned to power that community. Um, and so, you know, looking at putting quantitative measures in place to, to really understand, you know, the direct impact is one piece that I would like to, to um, build some tooling around as we move forward, um, both for us and for them, because this is important for them to report on as well. Um, the, other, the other piece is a little bit harder to measure, but you know, one of the customers that we worked with, um, the folks that we're working with in California, um, part of the reason they wanted to engage with us was to be able to integrate renewables into their integrated resource planning process. And this is the process by which utilities choose what resources they're going to rely on to provide their power supply. Mm-hmm. Um, if renewables aren't in their IRP, they don't exist. Um, they can't be counted on. They won't be included as part of grid operations or power supply. Um, and the utility will go ahead and procure traditional sources. Um, so, you know, this utility was already procuring a lot of um, large-scale renewables, but they were interested in including uh, distributed renewables into their integrated resource planning process as well. And so both supporting them and directly doing that has, a, has an impact, but in particular, helping them kind of pioneer the process of doing that so that others can do it too. Um, is where you get into kind of the like the qualitative impact of what we do that's a little bit harder to put a number around. So part of what we do has a direct carbon impact, but part of it also has a, an impact in terms of providing a model that others can follow. Um, and that, that's also something that we think can be really helpful here. Well, great, Astrid. I, I learned so much. Is there anything I uh, didn't ask you that I should have or any parting words for viewers? Um, I, I would just say that As I mentioned earlier, um, this is a really big problem space and one that I think will really benefit from many hands on deck. Um, And so I think like looking to pursue collaborative working models, getting more people engaged in the space, getting more uh, folks coming in with a software background to the energy landscape and engaging in productive manner. um, It's really important. It's only going to become more important. Uh, I think there's a really big gap there. I would just say that, you know, if folks are thinking about making that jump, that you should do it. Um, and if you want to talk to me about it, um, I, you know, within, within limits, I'm really happy to talk to people looking to make that kind of change. And do you want to give people a way on the show to reach you? you don't have uh, to. Sure. Um, just drop me an email. Um, Astrid at Camus.energy is my email address. Sounds great. Well, Astrid, thanks again for coming on the show and best of luck to you and the whole Camus Energy team. Really appreciate it. And same to you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Jason here. Thanks again for joining me on my climate journey. If you'd like to learn more about the journey, you can visit us at myclimatejourney.co. Note that is .co, not .com. Someday we'll get the .com, but right now, .co. You can also find me on Twitter at jjacobs 22 where I would encourage you to share your feedback on the episode or suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear. And before I let you go, if you enjoyed the show, please share an episode with a friend or consider leaving a review on iTunes. The lawyers made me say that. Thank you. Thank you.